Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and I'm joined today by J.D. Baker, Special Assistant to Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt, to talk about engaging kids in the political process. Welcome, J.D. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm really excited to be here. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have you. And I want to start with telling our listeners a little bit about you. So in addition to serving as special assistant to the mayor, JD is the liaison to the LGBTQ community for the mayor's office. He's a sixth generation Oklahoma City resident who graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a Bachelor of Arts in Public Relations. JD serves on the board of directors for the Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma and OKC Black Chamber of Commerce. He's also an active volunteer with the YMCA Youth and Government Program and was recently recognized in the top five of Oklahoma City's most powerful young professionals by OKC Friday newspaper. JD, I'm so glad to have you here to talk about kids and politics. It can feel really daunting and messy to have these conversations with our kids during election season especially, but there can really be so many long-lasting positives and you are a perfect example of that. You have shared with me some really beautiful memories about going with your parents as a child to vote and regular conversations you had in your home about candidates and politics. So how did those opportunities to engage in the political process impact you as a child and how are they still impacting you now? So Aaron, when you, when you said kids in politics, it's almost like oil and water. We don't want them to mix at all. <laughs> I mean, it almost just seems, you know, we just seems like the very two different things. Politics can be really messy and, and, and well, children can be too, but children have a level of innocence and that and politics has always seemed to have that. But one thing is, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about is that we want kids to be engaged citizens. So this isn't about politicalness. This is about citizen, citizenry and being engaged in our democracy and what we have here um, in our country. And so for me as a kid, I, I'm, my degree is public relations, college of journalism at OU. And so as early as I can remember, maybe second grade, when the Sunday newspaper, when they still deliver newspapers at the front door and stuff, the big, the big newspaper with the coupons in it, uh, and me and my brother, we rushed to open up the comics. And growing up, you know, it started with the comics, but then I started reading from the comics to that news articles. And from news articles, I started learning and knowing more about my community and the world around me. And, and that in line in my mind. And I began to ask my parents questions about, okay, what's happening with this? What's happening with this? I, I'd ask my grandmother, you know, can you explain this to me? And I became a very curious mind. And from there, I appreciate what my parents did because they, they were honest about what was going on in the world around me. Uh, same thing with my grandmother. And I learned so much from her. Uh, she was very engaged in the community and I was her running buddy. It was what she would call me because everywhere she went, I was right there with her. I, I have a lot of older friends because of her. <laughs> I have friends in their 80s and 70s because of my grandmother. <laughs> and so, um, so learning a lot from her and being engaged. But one thing is I learned from her is that she led with her heart and she led with the community. Because when we think about politics, it, everything, when we think about people, everything's political. If people are involved, it's political. Uh, that's just reality. And it sounds weird, but that's reality. I mean, everyone has, when people are involved, there's something at stake, something personal to everyone. And so we have to make sure that we're understanding people's experiences and we're engaging with people um, for the right reasons. And so that's why it's important to be engaged and, and you know, 
politics of the local nature of our community. But I know with her, you know, she taught me that, you know, we have a, uh, we have a calling to be able to be of service of others. And, and like I said, if people are involved, then politics are involved. And so and sometimes you have to go through these things where you have to try to negotiate between folks to make sure there's a good outcomes for everyone. And we want to teach our children that because no matter what area of life they go into, whatever career they may go into, politics will be involved in some shape or form. Um, for me, another early experience where I think really was really powerful for me was my parents taking me to uh, the voting booth um, on, on voting on election days. You know, I remember going to, you know, to vote with my parents and, and watching them vote. And my mom was showing me this is the ballot and stuff. And, I remember, and not even just the general election, but you would go on the primary dates as well. So she's like, okay, this sheet is the Republican sheet. This sheet is the Democratic primary and this is the independence. And so I also began to understand, okay, yes, there are partisanship differences, but I also knew my parents were registered different parties. <laughs> they were registered differently. Um, I have three older siblings. They were registered differently than, you know, than each other. So I also had a diverse um, political views around me, which we all do, um, but even partisan-wise, it was different around me. So I was also able to a little bit kind of understand, figure out what was best for me, even though no, we, no party, nobody fits perfectly in a party box, uh, but also was able to understand, okay, these are the differences. These differences are differences of, of views. Um, we all want similar outcomes. Sometimes we just think we have different paths to get there. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it's those experiences as a kid that let me know that politics isn't bad. It might be messy, but it's not bad because when it's about people involved and we want to help people, we want a good community, we want a good nation, we want, we all want to live good lives. And that means we have to go through some things and negotiate. And so we want to equip our children, our next generation with these tools so they know how to do that effectively um and know how to be able to be a good participant in the system uh, if you don't stand for anything you'll fall for anything so we, it's our duty to teach our kids this i love that and i love that you said that just because it's messy doesn't mean that it's bad um and there's so many lessons for our kids to learn in that um we my husband and i belong to different political parties and we just literally had this conversation with our four-year-old last week about he was like so do i have to pick who mommy and daddy like or you know do i get to choose who i like and that was a really cool opportunity for him to learn that he there's power in in his tiny voice and that as he gets bigger that he's going to get to make some of those decisions so i'd love to that you talked about it's great for kids to have the opportunity to talk to people of different political parties and different political beliefs. And that does happen a lot in our own homes and that's okay. So that was a perfect intro to this conversation, JD. Um, so obviously you had a lot of meaningful um, opportunities as a child. Were those the things that inspired you to get engaged in city government as an adult, or were there some other moments in your life that really led you to know that this is what you wanted to do? I think I always wanted to be in service sometimes. I just knew from my upbringing and, and stuff, it was just like, you know, be of service to people in public service always seemed like the thing for me. I was in student council in high school, always, always wanted to help people. I, I was a participant in the youth and government program the YMCA when I was a high schooler 
um, and now I volunteer with them as an adult. Um, so it, it's just something that's always kind of been there for me. And when I was at OU uh, as undergrad, I, I never wanted to be involved in student politics at all. Um, I did join student government for uh, my freshman year for like three months before I quit uh, because I said that's where hopes and dreams go to die. I was very frustrated with the political process because I had one goal in mind and that was mental health awareness. And, but I was able to find a way outside of student government to be able to make sure we did have more mental health awareness on campus. And so I started my own organization uh, with, some, with some others. We started our own organization around mental health awareness that still exists today at OU and, and we're able to um, engage with the university to make sure we had, you know, we had a new psychologist, a new psychiatrist hired, which we ended up getting, uh, which was great. But later on, I ran for student government. I didn't want to, I said, politics, once again, politics is messy. I thought student government is where hopes and dreams go to die. But, <laughs> but I realized, I said to myself, I said, I have power in my voice and there are people who are willing to listen to me and that will rally around the same things I believe. And if I have the skills and tools to be able to push along further these ideas so we can have a better campus life as students, then why should not be that champion? And so I ran and, and won and was able to serve in that role. Um, and, that, and that did a lot for me. And, and it was actually during that time uh, where I met State Senator David Holt at the time. Um, and so it's, to me, just and one thing I, I really admire about David Holt, I, I admire David Holt since I was a high schooler. And I started reading about him in the newspaper and the stuff he was doing. Um, and way before I ever met him, is because we want leaders in our community that engage with people for the people, that really listen to the people and try to raise up those interests. Um, and that's important. And it's, it's about those dedicated few that are willing to champion for all. Um, and so we want our kids to be able to, to be able to decipher who is that, what, who, who are the people that are gonna raise up my values and make sure that they're helping me and the world and the community around us. And so we want to make sure that they understand who to listen to. We're living in an age of a lot of misinformation and confusion. And so we, we need to teach our you know, kids, even teach ourselves, especially on social media, you know, what is, what is true, what is false, who is credible, who isn't, what is credible, what isn't. And even sometimes credible people can say discredible things <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> so we have to be able to understand how to fact check how to make sure, you know, uh, th this is from the right sources. If I see a graph and I see a chart and I see that it says it comes from, oh, I don't even know a good example, um, you know, it, it for some, you know, difference between a lobbyist organization pulling out data and a, you know, more of a uh, nonpartisan entity like the U.S. Census Bureau or something like that, understanding the differences and the biases and the agendas of these organizations, whether they're not partisan, nonprofit organization, or they're a lobbyist firm trying to make sure they get <laughs> a certain idea or agenda pushed along. Um, believe me, like I said, I have a degree in PR. I know, I know what they're doing. <laughs> so we want to be able to teach, uh, teach not only our kids, but we gotta teach ourselves this. I think a lot of us have to really teach ourselves this because it is confusing. It's confusing. You see a headline article and you're like, oh my gosh, Okay, did you check the source of it? Who, not only the source, it may say like more credible source, um, you know, like Washington Post or Washington Times and New York Times or whatever, but who's the writer? What is their bias? 
They're journalists. Who's, what is their bias? And if you see a headline, it doesn't mean it's a news article. It may be an opinion piece. <laughs> so just be able to, uh, to understand those things. So media literacy is a huge part about being a good citizen. So maybe you don't want to talk to your kids about politics quite yet, but teaching them about media literacy and understanding how to read and understand media is really important. So they're able to make judgment based on truth and fact and not falsehoods and misinformation. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and you're right. It's important to teach our kids, but it's important for us as adults to go through those same processes and remind ourselves to, to fact check and, and to look for credible sources. Um, so kind of in talking about some of the negativity that comes out of political season, you know, we've got negative ads, there's mudslinging, there's fear mongering. And when as a parent, you look at all of that, it can be really easy to just bow out and decide I'm going to ignore everything about politics for myself and for my kids. Um, but as a mom, I have really been trying to lean in and find those opportunities with my kids to talk with them, even about the parts that are hard and, and show them what the political process looks like and what that means for them as future voters. Um, so how do you, how do, how can families find those opportunities to learn and engage in meaningful discussion during this season? So I, I have a great example from a friend of mine here in Oklahoma. I told her I would share this anonymously, um, but she had tweeted this actually yesterday and I screenshot it. I was like, hey, can I share this? She's like, sure thing. She just said, tonight my uh, son asked my husband and I who we were voting for. I'll spare those details, but I want to say this. Our son at age seven astutely and brilliantly summarized what we had to say about each candidate. He then related examples back to stories of different men in the Bible. It was fascinating, humbling, and here's what I came to say. The kids are watching, and I love this part. She says, the kids are watching, they're listening, they're absorbing, dissecting, and internalizing what we as adults present. Be mindful, be patient, and be odd. And I think that was, I think it was so well done. And that we have to realize that. Kids are watching. I, I can, like I said, I can remember as a kid the things I saw and heard. I remember, um, now I'm only 25, so I'm a little young, probably some parents are here around my age, but some may be older. But I remember um, as a kid, I remember um, the Bush Kerry election. And I remember we had the, the, the little elections at school. And I remember, you know, I voted the way my parents voted, and all the kids voted the way their parents voted. And I began to question them, why did we do that? Like, like what, what makes Bush a bad person? What makes Kerry a good person? Or, you know, or Kerry a bad person, Bush a good person. And um, then four years later, I was in middle school when uh, Barack Obama was elected. And definitely had an impact on me as a young black middle schooler. And, and I remember, you know, uh, I remember for some folks, they were, some kids were upset because their parents didn't vote for them. And I didn't understand that. I was just like, wow, there's a black man that's become president. For me, that was inspiring. And I had a teacher who, who saw that and she gave me a book, um, Barack Obama's First Book, Dreams from My Father. And, and for me in that moment, it was really impactful. Like, it wasn't about politics. It was, it, was, it was about, you know, it was about leadership and it was about someone being able to overcome, overcome so many different obstacles in life, including racism, become president of the United States. But for me, as a kid, I didn't see politics. I didn't see right or left. I didn't see Democratic, Republican. I saw someone who, who 
was spoken with the people to the people's hearts and was enough to gain enough votes to win the, winning the presidency. So it was through those experiences where I did begin to question those things and everything. So I think it starts with sitting down with the kids at the, at the dinner table or in the car rides and letting them ask questions and giving them honest answers and feedback and also recognizing our bodies. So, you know, so saying, you know, well, that person is, you know, a crazy conservative or a crazy liberal. I mean, you, you want to say those things because that, that sounds bad. We don't want to teach our kids name calling. So say, well, that person's views don't align with what I believe are good things. That person, I don't believe that we should have this, or I do believe that we should have this or whatever. And explain to your child why you believe those things. See, one thing I've learned more in my adulthood in, in a lot of things, in relationships and politics um, and projects and stuff, we have to understand the why beneath the why beneath the why beneath the why. And when we start digging, for all those whys, we start to expose our values and the things we value, you know. It's like, well, JD, why are you eating that sandwich? Well, I'm hungry, well, you know, or, you know, I like, you know, I like BLTs, but why do you like BLTs? Well, I really like the bacon, but I really like the lettuce. Well, why do you like the lettuce? Well, lettuce, I like how it's crunchy in my mouth. I like the waterness of it. And why do you like that? Well, it's refreshing, you know. So we start asking the why beneath the why beneath the why we begin to understand more about our values and stuff. Um, whether that, you know, I like refreshing sandwiches with lettuce or, <laughs> or you know, whether or not, you know, the reason why a person may identify as pro-choice or the reason a person might identify as pro-life. And I specifically chose that very polarizing issue because it, it is so polarizing. But once we have these conversations with the kids, they begin to understand the nuances of it. And I know, you want your kids to have the same values as you, and including some of the same politics. But you would do better off if you allowed your child to come to those conclusions on their own. I know it's tough, but I, I think it truly, and I think this is the last thing I'll say on this too. The life you live is the biggest example that your child sees. The life you live. And so if we want, if we want to have a world where we can have political conversations with civility and respect. That starts with mom and dad at home. That starts with the conversations mom and dad has on social media. Um, starts the conversations they may have at church or, or with, the, with the other parents of the sports league or, or with the family members. Especially, you know, holidays are coming up and <laughs> woo, you know, it, whoever wins this election, you know, Thanksgiving is gonna have an impact on a lot of families. Who's gonna show up and who isn't? Who's in, if, you know, if this person's disinvited or if they're not, if I can extend forgiveness to the other person or that gesture and say, you are still welcome here despite the differences in our political beliefs. I mean, we really have to get back to the fact that, you know, we are people and we have different, like I said, we want different outcomes, but we're all Americans here. We all live in this country and, and, we're, and we're fighting for the values in the heart of our country, but that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make me a bad person. But we, so we really, it's, we really have to get to the heart of who we are, but also realize we are people. We are people first. And because we disagree, that does not mean that your life has any less value than mine, that your, your beliefs and values has any less value than mine. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's such a powerful way to talk to kids about politics. Um, 
you know, the piece where we can have conversations, we can have relationships with people who, who believe differently than we do on political issues. Um, there's so much there that, that we can teach our kids from. And um, I liked how you talked about like looking at the humanity of people rather than focusing so much on the political parties. And I think for kids that can be such a powerful way um, to talk about and, and look at politics and, and to look at what their own values are. Um, that giving them the ability to, to determine their own values for themselves is, is so empowering for kids and um, just takes this conversation away from all the negativity that comes from political season into something that can be super powerful for, for them um, in a lifelong way. Um, so we talked a little bit about media literacy and you gave some great examples about how to, to dive into that with kids. Um, we know that kids get a lot of their information from social media today. And um, though kids are, you know, my kids are already more tech savvy than I am, but they absolutely take things at face value. Um, and I have seen that in them talking about negative political ads to me. They just take whatever <laughs> is in the ad and assume that must be right. So we've had to have a lot of conversations in our household like to unpack that, to talk about why there are negative political ads. Um, so especially when it comes to, you know, the, some of the negativity that our kids might see, whether it's on TV or they might hear their friends talking about at school. Are there any other ways that you would um, suggest that parents talk to kids about being able to discern the facts and really kind of separate what is true, what is fact versus what is an emotional appeal? I'll say this with journalism and probably some of my colleagues from college uh, probably would disagree with me on this, but um, you know, there in every in every bit of writing or any every type of media has bias, whether it's music, film, um, journalism, um, art. Every type of media has bias, and so I think it starts with let's recognize bias. So whether that's of a candidate you like or you don't like, or political party you like and don't like, um, and so I, I would say sitting down with your children and. People don't read newspapers as much anymore. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, watch, if you're watching television news or if you're looking at an article online or something, walk them through it and help them understand this is a credible news source because of this. This is not a credible news source because of, because of these things. Or maybe not even talk about credibility, but like I said, about bias. So this news site has this link. I'll give two examples. Um, I think, yeah, these are two good examples. Huffington Post is a left-wing news site. So they're gonna have their way, they're gonna present the articles and present the news. The news are facts, but the way they're gonna present it and, and frame it and make it sound like if, if it's good or bad, is gonna to lean towards the values of liberal, um, liberal viewership or readership. Same thing with Breitbart, which is more right-leaning. They're gonna present some facts and stuff, but they're gonna frame it in a way that makes it, that aligns the values of what is good or bad of right leaning values. And so be able to, so, um, to understand that bias. So I think talking to your kids that people have bias and that's okay. You may like, you may like grapes and I may like apples. 
Um, and we're going to try to find some type of way to make sure that, you know, apples will always look better than grapes and grapes will always look better than apples. But at the end of the day, it's still pretty good fruit, <laughs> you know, and you can understand and trying to figure out the facts in, with, in between the lines, read between the lines and understand the facts among all the bias. So read a lot of different news sources. So don't just read Breitbart, read Huffington Post. Maybe if you, you know, those two different biases can cancel each other out. And from there you can pull out the facts and say, well, this was consistent in both articles. This was as consistent in both views. Um, what else was another example? So, I mean, I really think literally sitting down with your kids and walking them through it, um, or maybe pointing it out. So if you are seeing an ad for, I know there's a highly contested congressional race right now in central Oklahoma, and I know there are a lot of ads on both sides of it. So as those ads pop up, talk about those ads and say, you know, do I like what this ad is saying? Yes, because I, I like this candidate and this is bashing their opponent. However, I do recognize that this is the bias. These are the reasons why I do like it and it aligns with my values. I mean, not, I, I think it comes with some vulnerability. I think that's what we have. I think I don't have any kids, so I'll, you know, this time I don't have any children, but I do believe that, you know, there is a certain level of vulnerability. We have to have the children having these conversations. Um, we have to be able to do a lot of introspection, reflection on ourselves and what we value and why we value certain things. And I think that's the most honest, the most difficult part is the vulnerability we have to expose ourselves to for, to educate our children. Um, so talk about those things in, um, in those ads and stuff. Um, I mean, I remember, I remember actually the first election I actually like looked closely at, and that was um, um, uh, Lieutenant Governor um, Jerry Askins versus uh, Congresswoman Mary Fallon for governor. Uh, and I was I was freshman in high school and I was looking at it very closely and I went to the debate uh, at UCO. I, I remember looking at it and trying to understand what, what were they talking about. I didn't understand everything. We're trying to understand why, you know, why go to why Congresswoman Mary Fallon at the time would have been the better governor or why Lieutenant Governor Jerry Hastings would have been the better governor and trying to understand, okay, what were the values? And from my memory as a ninth grader, I remember I'm like, they really have a lot more in common than dislike. You know, I was like, they're both, I said, one may be Republican, one may be Democrat, one may like Obama, one may not like Obama, but really what they want for Oklahoma is a lot of the same. And that's how I come to realize, like we look around in our state and we all want, a lot of us want the same thing. We want better pay for teachers and we want good schools and we want safe roads. We want public safety. We want those things. Um, and so understanding that we may have different paths, but it doesn't mean one's bad worse than the other. So just having those honest, authentic conversations and realize that we also need to teach civility. So yes, these are negative ads, but negativity doesn't, is not always the way to go. Um, and so just, just having those vulnerable, honest conversations. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Um, so this is the reality. Um, and I, and I, kids are, and that's another thing, don't underestimate your kids. They are smart enough, bright enough, very much like my friend was saying. They are listening, they're present, they're engaged, they're intuitive. They're, they are, they're smart enough to get it. And so don't manipulate your child into thinking one way or another. Let them come to their own conclusions. That's such good advice. And I love that you talked about um, 
thinking about how, whether it's a news story or an ad to talk about how that makes you feel, what your reaction is and why you're reacting that way. And that's powerful for adults too. But that's, um, that's just a great conversation starter, I think, for, for families to be able to talk through because um, that pulls it that pulls it down to to the child too, and allows them to share their voice and their feelings. Um, so we know that kids who engage in politics, even if that's just through having these discussions in the home, are more likely to become engaged voters as adults. So what are some specific ways that kids and families can engage with our city's government? Yes. Yeah, so um, one thing is great right now. All of our meetings are virtual, um, and so it's easy for people to engage, hop on YouTube, even look at previous meetings and stuff. And I'm not gonna lie, our city council meetings aren't the, the coolest things. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I mean, even even as staff, I mean, sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, can we get to this item? <laughs> so they're not always the most, you know, engaging thing to watch. And, and look at, but I think there are a lot of ways to get involved in government. So I was involved with the YMC Youth and Government Club, which a lot of the metro um, metro high schools have a um, has a club of after school to participate in. There's also ways um, with city government. We have a youth council. Um, where leadership Oklahoma City actually has multiple youth programs, youth leadership exchange, youth council for um, high school students to be able to apply to. Um, when I was in high school. I, I got to page um, at the state capitol um, where I met so many different cool um, people, uh, state representatives and stuff, uh, including Guy Liebman, who was a former councilman for Oklahoma City, uh, T.W. Shannon, who was, I think he was Speaker of the House at the time I met him, and Sage Pittman. I mean, these are people I remember meeting as a high school student. And now some of these people are considered as friends, you know, and, and as an adult. And so it's cool. I'm like, oh, remember when you met me as a kid? <laughs> and so, um, so it's, it's, it's programs like that. Uh, it's also programs, one program I did in high school, which was really great. Uh, I went to Evans Santa Fe High School um, and I participated in a program that the Evans Chamber of Commerce had for high school students. I can't exactly remember the title of it. Um, but it was, um, I think it was Wildly Youth Leadership Edmund or something, I think is what it was called. And it was really great because I got to, me and my best friends from Edmund Memorial, we got to participate in the program together, you know, and it was like once a month we got together and we understood and we learned more about Edmund. So we started to understand government and politics in a greater scope beyond just, you know, um, just the debating of policy, but actually how does policy affect community? How does it affect business growth? How does it affect quality of, of the roads, schools, parks that we have? Um, and I think the, the most also simple way to understand, to just get children to understand the role of government is look at the world around us. So talk about those things. As you're driving down, we've, we've been talking a lot about bike lanes lately here in downtown area. We have more bike lanes than we've ever had. So talk about those, talk about how, you know, it takes this role and process, how it took a, you know, 2017 bond, uh, bond sales tax initiative called Better Street Safer City in Oklahoma City that, you know, put this much money into creating new bike lanes in Oklahoma City and protected bike lanes. And um, talk about, you know, how we get our water. A lot of people don't understand where we even get our water. 
our main water sources are Lake, uh, Lake Canton, which is northeast, uh, northwest of Oklahoma City, and then Lake Atoka, um, McGee Creek, and Sardis Lake, which are all southeast Oklahoma. Um, and there's a 100-mile pipeline between Lake Atoka and Lake Draper in southeast Oklahoma City. Um, and, you know, talk about those things and educate yourselves so that people realize that government isn't just, you know, pro-life or choice. You know, it's, it's not those, it's not, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi's, it's, 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 it's really, it's the roads we drive on, it's the schools we have, it's, 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 it's a lot of the things that we experience every day. Um, government has a good role in our lives. Um, for the most part, we're, we're you know, so where we know our water, the water we're drinking is safe. The roads that aren't as bumpy as they used to, thank you, Better Street Safer City, uh, <laughs> um, that we, you know, that we understand um, that our, you know, our communities are safer. Um, so I think in very easy ways, there's easy ways to get your kids to understand and engage with government. And, and I know one thing too, is like our parks department has a lot of uh, programming and resources and stuff as well, just, just and that's a city, that's a government service. So does it look like government? No. Does it seem like government? No, but it is a government service. So there are a lot of different ways. Um, um, but also I would say, uh, just, you know, take your kids to, your poll, to the polls with you, or if you're voting absentee, sit down with them at the, at the kitchen table and go through each ballot. Um, you know, don't straight ticket. I never say straight party ticket. Go through each and every single one and say, I'm voting for president, this person for president, because this, you know, I'm voting for this person for, for Senate for this, for Congress for this, for county, you know, position this. Um, walk them through it and help them understand how did mom or dad come to that conclusion. Those are such great examples and those are great ways to help um, kids understand more, especially what our city government does every day. Um, and it, it makes it, I think, feel more for them and for adults too, like they can engage and like it does touch their everyday life. Um, we just had that absentee ballot discussion at my household yesterday and my kids were mostly intrigued with the number of envelopes. <laughs> so, oh so am I. <laughs> <laughs> right. I had to keep checking my instructions to make sure I was doing it right but um, <laughs> I was like great I'm glad that that's what you're getting out of this conversation <laughs> but it's still you know it still showed them the process and it was still it was still. State voting is important. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Even if there are a lot of envelopes, you should still do it. Um, so I want to end today by talking about what you're looking forward to. Um, what are some of the current or upcoming projects or programs that are giving you a lot of hope and excitement for the future of Oklahoma City? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about MAPS 4. Um, MAPS 4 is I love the MAPS programs, and that's another way to talk about government. Educate yourselves on MAPS. I think MAPS is a perfect example of how government and the, and the community comes together to better the community. So going back to 1993, the reason why we have the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Chesapeake Arena goes back to 1993 when the citizens of Oklahoma City voted for one, one penny sales tax to put money into uh, uh, building this public infrastructure. Um, and so now we've been through MAPS 1, 2, 3, uh, and one of the most beautiful things in MAPS 3, Scissor Tail Park, uh, which is just beautiful. If you haven't been there, please go. It's been open over a year. You should, you should not be wasting your time not going. Go. The weather's beautiful this week, especially. Um, but 
yeah, go to Scissor Tail Park and let, you know, let people know. I call it the people's park. Personally, I call it the people's park because it took one penny. Every, from everything, you know, every dollar you purchased um, in that time uh, between 2009 to 2018, that one penny went to, or 2010 to 2018, that one penny went to um, projects like Scissor Tail Park. And hopefully soon we'll be breaking the ground on the lower park or the, yes, the lower park um, just south of I-40. Um, but that's, um, so um, I love maps three, love maps four, maps four, some of the things we're working on and including um, uh, some of the, the bus rapid transit lines, the bus shelters we're gonna have, the, uh, uh, these um, Clara Civil Rights Museum, the, um, there's 16 projects, so I'm trying to think of all of them. But they, this is my favorite thing, honestly, maps for is the parks, every single park in our city. And we have a lot of parks. Um, I have a map, and it's a huge map <laughs> of our parks. It's huge. It's more than what you think. Um, but all of our parks will have, see improvements because of maps for. And I love parks because parks are community centers. I know as a kid, we had a lot of different family reunions um, in our city and other cities. Um, but every time we had a family reunion, it was at a park, whether it was Edwards Park here in Oklahoma City, or it was at, um, I can't think of the name of the park, but it's a park in Wichita, Kansas. And every time we do the family reunion up there, we do it at that park in Wichita, or the park that my family went to for another family reunion in Kansas City. Um, so parks are community centers, and so I think that's the best thing about Mount School. So it's, it's really just the investment that we continue to put in our city. Um, investing in our businesses, especially small businesses. Um, so it's, it's a lot of those things. And I know those are things, we, some of these improvements we're willing to see for another 10 years. But I know for, for, uh, for a lot of us, it's exciting to see. I mean, I wasn't even born when MAPS 1 passed and, <laughs> and yet I've you know, been thinking from the fruits of this labor. Uh, I remember when, I do remember when the Ford Center opened. Actually, it was one of my earliest memories. I was watching the news with my mom. They're talking about the Ford Center opening. And we got this great big, you know, arena. And, and then I remember in 2008 when we got the Thunder. And, and so, um, so it's just those little examples and stuff that, to share with children. It's like, this, this government can be good and should be good. Um, at this building that I'm sitting in, at the City Hall Municipal Building, it says for the perpetuation of good government. Um, and, and that's what we want to do here. And, and so, and we want to make sure that we're held accountable and, and that people are engaged and that we're making sure that we make a, a city that's good for everyone. Um, so please teach your kids about politics and political engagement, city government, and, and let them know they can come to city council meetings, watch city council meetings. And, and we try to be as transparent and helpful um, with our community because we everything we do is because of you. And your team is doing a great job. Um, when you were talking about Scissor Tail Park specifically, like I remember when my husband and I first took our kids there and we've both lived in Oklahoma City all our lives. And I mean, like we both got emotional about it, looking at this beautiful park and thinking this, the investment the city made in this park happened before our kids were born. And now here they are running and playing in it, and it's a place that they can go and enjoy, you know, throughout their lifetimes. So um, 
it, it was a really, it was a cool moment for our family to show our kids this is the power of, of Oklahoma City and, and to get a really great glimpse into what the future of Oklahoma City is going to look like too. We've got a lot of positive momentum and, and thank you again to your office for, for championing so many of the great things that we have going on. And thanks for joining me today, JD. And you've really infused some positivity and encouragement into what can be a hard season for a lot of people. And it's been a good reminder for me as a mom about you know, the honor and responsibility that parents have to, to get engaged and to vote and, and to further instill those things in our children as well. And I'll, I'll leave you with one more final example. Uh, I talked about Claire Luffer very briefly, but Claire Luffer uh, in the sit-in room in 1958, I mean, she led that, you know, we talked about her, but it really was, it was, she led children, it was her students from the NAACP Youth Council. And she taught these kids and, and she, she really, really taught them like, no matter what, you know, this is gonna be a peaceful protest. And if people spit at you, if they curse at you, which they did all those things, um, those kids still maintain their decorum and realize they kept their eyes on the prize, uh, what, what they felt was fair and justice. And, and they were able to desegregate, uh, you know, all the catch drug stores in the region, as well as desegregate several other stores in Oklahoma City through the sit-in movement from 58 to 63, 64. Um, my great uncle was a sit-inner, um, my grandmother's brother was, and so in the 1961, he was arrested at age 16. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that was written in Claire Luber's book, and so, but I think about those kids and they stood up for what was right, what they believed in, um, and today a lot of those kids are now adults in their 60s and 70s, um, but they were made better for it, and I appreciate Claire Luper not underestimating the power of a child, even young Ayana um, uh, um, Najuma, who was, I believe, I was seven or eight years old. And the, the big famous picture about the city in Oklahoma City, you see a picture of a little girl looking at the camera, and that's Ayana. Ayana's now you know, 60, 70 years old today, and um, she's a great person, great friend, engaged in our community. She's on our Human Rights Commission Task Force right now. She leads a book club at Full Circle Books about what lies between us. And this book club is having these tough conversations. I, and I know some of these sit in their kids and where they are today, and they're better. They, they've lived lives that have been so good for the world around them because they were taught about, you know, political engagement in the right way at a young age. And I think if you want your children, we, I think everyone wants their children to be impactful, to live good, happy lives, but make impactful lives as adults. And that starts, that starts at a young age. And so that's just a great example of how, you know, kids aren't just our future, they're our today. And, and that starts with building them up today so they can be even stronger in the future. That's such a beautiful and powerful example, JD. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, we, in our magazine's October issue, we featured Ruth Rolf, who was also a sit-inner and, um, and went on, I mean, she's lived a, an incredible life um, where she's really been an activist in so many different ways in our community. And sharing her story with my kids impacted them in a huge way to think that, you know, she was, I think, 16 when, maybe 15, when she joined the sit-in movement and, and for, for my kids to, to learn about how she was able to use her voice 
and and what that means for them today, especially as we're we're facing racial injustice in our city and our country. Um, to, for them to be able to hear her story and then think about, okay, what does that mean for me as a kid now in Oklahoma City, and how can I help make things better here? So, I love that, and I'm really glad. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it, Erin. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for, again, for your positivity and for your encouragement for, for parents as we're all learning how we can have these powerful conversations with our kids. And thanks to all of our viewers for watching. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.